And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets Podcast. Aaron Portsign with you. Allison Lucan is here. Hello. We have another special guest for you. Bob McGilligan from the Blue Jackets Radio Network is with us. Bob McGilligan, hello. How are you guys? It is great to actually talk to the both of you oh. uh, in some way, shape, or form after four months. Yes, and it was nice seeing you at the rink earlier this week. I mean, I, I you know, I love you. I've known you for years, Bob. But Loves you. you. You don't realize how how long it's been. It feels like an off season has taken place since we last saw each other, all of us in the Nationwide Arena. It is good to have hockey to talk about again. Um, Blue Jackets are now four days deep into training camp 2.0. And just a couple of nuggets to bring you up to date on. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois missed practice Tuesday, was back out there Wednesday, missed the early part of it today, and then came out. uh, Allison Ford, power play work at the end. Doesn't look to be a major issue. Certainly isn't what everybody fears when someone's not present uh, right now. Um, What's going on with Pierre, do we think? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'll probably be proven wrong within 15 minutes of this podcast being published, but um, just watching him move, I think he might just maybe have some tightness or some soreness in the middle body, um, core maybe, maybe even the hip flexor area. Um, But I think this is one of those times when the cliche holds true that he's going to care for it while he can during camp, and, and when the games matter, he's playing. Yeah, that would obviously be a big, big deal. Ryan Murray in and out. I think this is a guy that, that I think there's an understanding that that he's going to do this and not be overtaxed. He didn't skate on Wednesday, did skate today. Uh, so onward with that. 
Josh Anderson, we've been told he will be added to the Blue Jackets roster uh, before the deadline uh, for that is, whenever that is. Having a hard time nailing that one down. I'm not sure the teams know. Uh, but <laughs> before they get to Toronto for the bubble, Josh Anderson will be on this roster, even if he's not able to play for another couple of months, which is possible. Uh, Bob McGilligan, you walked into that rink on Monday, uh, as did we. You felt the cool smack of, of uh, cold, dry air. Your thoughts being back in that place and hearing the, the sounds of hockey, it, it's starting to feel like this is going to happen. And I'm not sure I felt that for a long time. I didn't feel it for a long time either. As a matter of fact, for weeks when people asked me about it, uh, oh, I heard some news. Oh, I saw this story. Oh, I read this story. I kept telling them the same thing. I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. And I don't mean that bad. I don't think anybody has been lying along the way. I think every intention has been uh, getting back to play. But as you guys know, just look at life as it is right now. Uh, things that seem like they're set in stone, ready to go one day, uh, the next day are not as certain or they're changed altogether. So wh whenever I told people that, that's what I meant. But yeah, it was really nice to, uh, to walk in there and see the players on the ice. Uh, first of all, it was really weird for me. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I, I took my son over to Hilliard for a baseball lesson and I was taking 270 right down through downtown. And it hit me on that trip that I had not been down there right. for three months at that time. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And when I got off Neal Avenue the other day and actually made the left to go toward the yes. arena, I was like, Oh my God, I'm going back to the arena. <laughs> I haven't been here since March. Yeah. Um, and and the other thing about it is, as you guys know, usually when you walk into the building at this time of the year, it's a, uh, it's a development camp, and uh, you're seeing whoever the first-round pick was in recent uh, uh, early draft picks and all that stuff. And, and I always tell people when I'm going to the rink in July, uh, there's a good chance I'm going to go have to uh, watch a whole bunch of guys I'm never going to see again uh, if they don't make the National Hockey League. So it was really refreshing to walk in, hear the sounds, see the players, and know they're the NHL players, and that's what we're getting ready to play. When I took the turnoff 670 on a kneel and started making my way to the rink on uh, Monday, I was like, holy shit, there's a building there that wasn't there yeah. when last I was down here. And I don't even know what that is. The building is, I think it's on Vine and Neil. It's Chipotle. It's going to be the new Chipotle headquarters. Oh, okay. I was going to say, not just a Chipotle. <laughs> That's a, oh, I, I thought, That's I, a really I, big I just, Chipotle. Yeah, huge. <laughs> Yeah, plenty of seating available. Um, I, I, I just automatically assume it was more condos and stuff. So I, you know. Yeah. But I was like, man, I have, it has been a while since I've been down here. Um, there's some building, some building going on, but yeah, it's been, it's been wild to, to be back and it's still so different. The masks, the interviewing players over a closed circuit. I mean, it's not what it was, but it sure beats the hell out of, of not having it. And it's starting to feel like it's, it's gearing up here and it, it does feel like they can execute this thing. Um, I mean, the, the important thing right now is for these guys to be smart. And, and Yarmo's talked about this and Tortorella's talked about this. And I think all the veteran players have leaned hard on the younger players. Like these next two weeks are absolutely huge for them. If, if there's a crack and these guys go out and, and contract this virus and bring it into the club, my God, who knows where it goes. Um, I mean, that, that's the scariest thing of right now. So they just need to get to the bubble. And the more I hear guys talk about the bubble, at first they seem to be, and Allison, I don't know if you've gotten this sense, they seem to be strangely 
intrigued and excited about it. I don't think they may end up that way long-term being stuck in the bubble, but I think there's sort of a fascination about what this is going to be like. And I, I think if they just get to that point where they're not leaving to go be with family and who knows who family's been with, uh, the, the way that that sort of exponentially can spread, um, I feel like it's going to be okay once they get this thing to the bubble. Yeah, I, I, I get that sense too. I think part of it, of course, is that it's new, right? Um, I think part of it is that it's, it's going to be feel more like a routine. And, and Bobby, you know this better than anyone, but this is a group that likes to get away and be in and among themselves and be that team unit. They thrive on that. Um, and I think there might be some of that too, in a way, for the reasons you just described, Porty, it's going to be in theory, I think in their perception right now, a relief. Like, we're done with this. We're going into the bubble. It's like we're on the road. We like when we're on the road. Often good things happen when we're on the road. Let's just get there. Yeah. I think it was Dave Metzl that asked the question, too. It was a wonderful thought. I was more struck by the feeling of, of joy coming off the ice Monday, Tuesday. He made the point, like, for a lot of these guys, just being in that rink, skating, doing what they've always done. It felt like an oasis for them. In other words, it, it, that that's normal for them. Nobody on the ice is doing anything differently than they normally would. There's still guys, unfortunately, farmer blowing, spitting. No one's wearing a mask. They're not sharing bottles anymore, which is not that they ever went mouth to mouth on those anyways, but it, it's, it's a little bit different, but that just felt so normal. And I'm sure it felt that way. For them, did you make that observation as well, Bob? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it kind of seemed like that. Um, in fact, I'd said this. Uh, we did a live stream that first day. And I, I said, you know, it's kind of like every year when they come back, they always appreciate being back with their teammates. Right. But I felt that this time it was, it was more different. Uh, usually I, I equate it to that first day of school, right? Sometimes when you yeah. were in school, there were some people you didn't see from the last day of school until the first day of the next year. And, and you were happy to see them again. But the sense that I got the other day was this was up a couple of notches from that because it because of the way it ended. I mean, there yeah. was no finality to it. Uh, it's not like you got knocked out of the playoffs. Now you have to wait for your chance next time. It was, hey, we're done. And we'll let you know when we're coming back. And then there's all the uncertainty. And I know they were group texting and they were talking and they were Zoom calling and all that stuff. But as we've all learned, it is not even close to being the same is being back amongst the people that you enjoy being back amongst. So, yeah, that was great. I, I especially thought that that first day, just the, the laughs and the smiles. And, and, again, normalcy is the word because none of our lives are normal anymore, or not what has been the perceived normal for us. So I think for those guys, you know, I had to come in and wear a mask. That's not normal. I got to take it off the broadcast, then it was back to normal for me. I'm watching these guys, calling their names and all that. that was, that's about as normal as it's been for four months. Yeah, pretty wild. And just to write down lines and to, you know, Allison, who's on the power play? Who's that yeah. there on the kill? Wait, which goalie is that? You're, you're getting back to sort of the routines uh, that are just sort of the day in, day out that maybe we missed more than we thought we did. Any surprise? Well, I, I don't know what it's like with you guys, but I have told people this for years. I love what I do because it's not real life. I mean, when, <laughs> yeah. seriously, when, when people yeah. are worried about, uh, hey, is there going to be this huge war that goes on in some part of the world? I'm more asking the question like, hey, do you think we're going to sign that free agent or are we going to get that guy in a trade? It's not real life. Right. But yeah. what's happened yeah. here is real life has intruded upon what we do. 
Yeah. And, and it's terrible. It's terrible through the whole world. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just making the comparison. We have never had to deal with this. Everything, business has just gone on as usual. The show must go on. It has. This is the first time where it's just completely stopped all over the place. I know. If I wanted to be a grown-up, I would have gotten a different job. Bob. Yes. Entirely. Entirely. Anything surprise you out there, Allison? The, the, anything line-wise on defense? I think the defense was pr- kind of pretty cut and dried. What surprised you, if anything, good or bad? Well, I think, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before we hit record on this, but I think that, and and Porter, you and I talked about this earlier this week on our other show. Um, Cam Atkinson is a player who, after that first day, said he wants to showcase himself, right? I think that where he is is maybe not the line he thought he should be on. Yeah. Um, I think that... um, Nudavara is in an interesting position. He's had an up and down year. I'm not saying it's not justified. Right. Um, that's interesting. Um, but of course, what I'm, what my nerdy self is intrigued by, and um, this has been all my questions have been about, is about special team stuff and this new wrinkle of of putting Seth and Zach on power play one at least for the first day. Um, and interestingly to me switching them out from how we saw them in their, that brief little experiment during the regular season where Zach was the one on the half wall, right. the more aggressive offensive position. And right now it's Seth, but Zach did say to us early, after practice that they, they basically have authority to swap, which I think is what they'll do. Yeah. But uh, those have been things that have caught my eye. Well, it's interesting. They, of course they can swap, but they could always swap and they always started the other way. Yeah. That's, there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting to get uh, Paul McLean and see what kind of light he can shed on that. Um, I, you know, the Gerby being in group two, not that Nathan Gerby is, is a for sure blue jacket next year. He knows that. Um, I was a little surprised that he was down and Foodie was up Foodie being the young guy. Um, and they so far have held to those Gerby has, has been on in group two. So basically not skating with the, the top guys, you know, he's driving that second group. Um, but you know, foodie is a guy that I don't know if it's a matchup with the Leafs um, specifically, or if it's just the way that he looked in those two games and they see the upside. One thing I think is really interesting. And, and Bob, you spend as much time one-on-one with him as maybe anybody in the, in this media group towards, he, there's a lot of things that are, there are a lot of reads on him that are wrong. I think one of them is that he's hard. He is hard on young guys. That's not wrong. That it's, that he's, it's hard for a young guy to find trust and traction with him. Where the one thing I think we've seen with him here, and you can go back a ways, he loves putting a young guy up there before people think he's ready or maybe ahead of everyone else's schedule. He's doing it with Foodie. He's got Texier up there. He did it with Robinson. Uh, Bemstrom's in there. I know he doesn't have like a ton of choices because of the way this roster is aligned, but this guy's comfort level and his, I think he's using Foodie. A, he likes Foodie, but I think he's also using Foodie as maybe motivation uh, for some of those guys down uh, lower in the lineup. Thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right, and I think you're right in all facets of it. But when it comes to the playoffs specifically, you just look at the last couple of years. It was only a couple of years ago that Gabriel Carlson was on the blue line against <laughs> yeah. the Pittsburgh Penguins. Nobody saw that. 
Yep. And then uh, last year, you had Texier come in with two games left in the regular season, uh, yep. play in the series against the Tampa Bay Lightning, get his first Stanley Cup playoff goal. Uh, it paid off. And, you know, I go back to uh, the postgame interview with John Tortorella after that game in Buffalo when Liam Foody played his second game when he picked up that assist for his first point. And, and I asked him, you know, because you guys are the same as me. I, I try to not ask him about a guy early because he'll always come back and say, I need to see more of him and all that garbage that he says. Um, and it's garbage because he knows. He knows right away. Oh, but yes. in that case, <laughs> in that case, it was two games, and, and the guy had to go back to London in the Ontario Hockey League and play, and he wasn't going to come back. And, and as soon as I asked the question, the first thing Torch said is, we'll miss him because we really – need what he has uh, you know he said uh, in that particular game he said he played much better than some of our veteran players tonight and those are the kind of things that stick with John Tortorella if you make that impression if you do it right you can as he likes to say you can get a lot of bank with him uh, because that's what he remembers yep. you screw up big time he remembers that you play big time he remembers that so yes I do agree I think it is a little bit of motivation I also think having Nathan Gerby with that group let and, Again, Nathan Gerby started the year in Cleveland as the captain of the Monsters. He's there for a reason, to groom those young guys. He's in that similar role now because he's keeping them motivated, he's keeping them going, and he's got himself ready when he's called upon. You know, Kevin Stenland's another guy that winds up in that group at the beginning. Uh, you know, he played some decent minutes and some decent shifts for this team, especially on a power play, a struggling power play. He found a little bit of a home there. So, um, yeah, I, I, think, I think Foodie is there. It, it creates a little bit of uh, anxiety and drive. And you guys know how much Torts loves to uh, create tension when there doesn't need to be. Uh, well, he feels there needs to be. But again, Liam Foody, I, look, it, it's a league of speed now. The Toronto Maple Leafs are a very fast team. Um, you know, if, if, he can, if he can come in and hold his own and he can play, Torts is going to play him. Yeah. Well, while we're talking about that nut job, and he would call himself that, <laughs> um, this guy, we know he can't coach, right? He's a terrible coach. Um, he He's overmatched X's and O's, doesn't really know what he's doing. I'm joking. And yet somehow, this is the fifth time he's been named a finalist for the Jack Adams Award. Uh, the votes are already in, so nothing that happens from, from here on out is going to impact it. But he's won it twice before. I think there's a hell of a chance he wins it a third time. Um, Allison, your thoughts on this? I, I mean, I think we've talked at length about John Tortorella, the evolution of the man, but can we just finally put aside all of the, can we look at him in a way that's beyond the YouTube clips from seven, eight years ago and think maybe this guy is, is in fact a legendary coach, not just a coach with a legendary temper. Yeah, I mean, and, and I've talked and written about this extensively and, and, and arguably part of what has made him one of the great coaches is his ability to change, right? I mean, yeah. the YouTube videos are not fake. <laughs> They're out there. They're yeah. real. Those are things that happened. Um, but for him, and he talked with all of us at the beginning of this season, how much he needed to evolve and work with this group differently He's changed the way he coaches. He's evolved and adapted to players like Zach Wierenski, players like Seth Jones. This is a guy who wants to be the right leader for his team and win. And he's willing to change to do that. And I think 
you know, I think this is one of those situations where Columbus not necessarily getting as much of a national spotlight as some other teams might hurt because if you, there were a lot of tremendous coaching jobs this season, no question. But if you look at what this group of players did specifically (laughs) with the injuries and for them to stay afloat, I mean, the joke is always show me a Jack Adams winner and I'll show you a good goaltender. And goaltending was certainly a part of this, but that was not the only part of this. And to have a system that players could plug into and keep going to get those guys fired up, to get those guys to execute and to stay in the playoff conversation with just 12 games to go and lead the league in man games lost and not just any man games lost, but big time players. Um, This is, this is a hallmark season that I think really should be respected. Bob, John Tortorella in a best of five tournament setting go. This is right up his alley. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even have to change the game plan. He can give every speech from last year. He can tell them to play the same way as last year, in my opinion, because it's it's the same thing as Tampa was. It's a team that's very offensively skilled. They're going to roll lines where you're going to be challenged with their offense. Um, they're going to go fast. You have to be ready for that. Their defense is not going to be what the Tampa Bay Lightning defense was. I don't think their goaltending is going to be. I don't think Frederick Anderson, I, I don't look at him the same way. Um, so I think this is very easy for John Tortorella to go back to what you guys were talking about when I think he's, uh, I don't know if he's a great coach. And what I mean Hmm. by that is if you put it in today's, the way the game is today, coaches aren't inventing new systems. You know, we're not doing the left wing lock and all this stuff. Everybody's playing basically the same way. The advantage you have with John Tortorella as your coach is and, and Porty, you covered baseball for a long time, so I hope you agree with me on this. He's more of a manager. He's more of a, of a baseball manager. Your job is to come in and make sure everybody's in the right frame of mind. Sometimes that means you put your arm around them. Sometimes that means you put your foot right in their rear. Um, you know, you, you've got to keep everybody accountable. You've got to keep everybody on the same page. I think he's great in motivating. Uh, you know, even the guys that get mad at him sometimes because he is honest with them will admit to you what a great motivator he is. And you know, go back to that, that first game last year in Tampa, that, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the talk that got, that got out from the dressing room, the, the video that yeah. came out oh, there. Awesome. Yeah. And, and the players still talk about that today. Yeah. That's what he brings to you at the end of the day. I don't care. I don't care if he does one drill. I don't care if he designs one drill, puts one S or one O <laughs> on a whiteboard. I do not care. Because I want the guy, and I'm old school too, so take that into account. But I want the guy that's going to have everybody ready to go, um, motivated. It's all about team with John Tortorella. Uh, We Mm -hmm. had him on a show earlier this week, and I asked him about the Jack Adams finalist. And he said, well, we look at that as more of a staff award, not as a me award. Okay, fine, whatever, however you want to play it. And But you've got to be, as a head coach in this league, you've got to utilize your staff. and. If, if they're doing the bulk of the work and you're managing the personalities and making sure that everybody's ready to go when it's time to go and it works in uh, cohesion like that, that's awesome. And I think that's what he does the best. And that's why I think a best of five series, look, let's be honest about this, okay? The pressure's on the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't care if there's a soul in the building. They're playing this in Toronto. Um, the way the salary cap's going to – the way the salary cap's going to come out the next couple of years – 
they're going to have a, a lot of things they're going to have to address. So there's their window. The Blue Jackets are playing with house money. They've been doing that all year long. Um, you know, the, the other two guys that are in the Elaine Vigneault and Bruce Cassidy, last I checked, uh, Jake Borchek and Claude, uh, Claude Giroux were playing uh, just about every game of the season. David Pasternak and Brad Marchand. What this guy did with this team, we were talking about Nathan Gerby and Kevin Stenlin, how important yeah. they have been throughout the course of the year. Are you kidding me? And those are just two of 12 guys uh, that he made this happen with. So I really like him in the best of 540. Again, the game plan draws itself up. It's exactly what you did last year. It's easy for him to play the us against the world thing. He's going to have them in the bubble. He's going to have them away from all the distractions of life, which, again, he loves. I like him in the best of five. We're going to get back to Blue Jackets talk with our great guest, Bob McGilligan, in a second. But first, a quick break for a word about Hawthorne. Hey, everybody. Aaron Portson here. I want to talk to you today about Hawthorne Cologne. Uh, when you cover NHL games in San Jose, just a little insight here, they pass around breath mints in the press box just before the end of the game. And that strong mint is a strong hint. It is important to smell good. Smelling good is important. Hawthorne smells really good. Getting Hawthorne cologne is so easy to. Take a quick two-minute quiz and Hawthorne tells you the two colognes that are best for you. One for work and one for play. It's totally risk-free, free shipping, free returns. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use the promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co and use promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. And we are back. You're listening to the Front Nationwide podcast, joined by your radio broadcaster for the Blue Jackets, Bob McGilligot. Um, all right, here's a wild one for you because I don't want to get too too long into discussion about Alexis Lafreniere. I swear I don't, because <laughs> that's a long way off if it ever does happen. But the thought is that the Blue Jackets are going to have a hard time getting over there where they want to get if they don't somehow add a difference-making player and an offensive player. They've got plenty on the back end, and they've got, I think, at least one goal. Tortorella even mentioned this the other day that it's hard, it's hard to to win the Stanley Cup without that guy. And so I wonder if you look at this roster of young players, I'll ask both of you this. You've got some guys that are sort of on the outskirts of being still young, and Bjorky looks like a 30-goal scorer, but I'm not sure he's that guy. Uh, by, by that guy, I mean the, the absolute superstar. Texier, young guy with a lot of upside. Bemstrom, same. Foodie, Foodie's a first-round draft pick. Is there anybody on this roster or any buddies on this roster that you guys think, start with you, Allison, that could pop as presently put together, I'm looking beyond this year a little bit, and make them a threat to be more than this 8-9 seed hoping to win the first round playoff series, uh, turn them into the bad mofo who might win it all. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying if, if, they, if these guys go on a long run, it's an unbelievable story 
not something that anyone's expecting right now, just based on how this team is, is put together. Is this something that can happen just with the passing of time with these players being allowed to develop? Alice. So I will give full marks to the players you mentioned on the forward side, but I, I do think, you know, look, there's a reason this club went after a player like Artemi Panarin. There's a reason why he's a difference maker and why he's making 11 million, whatever it is, $12 million now. Um, I am suddenly really buying into the Zach Wierenski storyline. Um, there's a lot of talk about how he attacks offensively. He looks super confident um, through these four days of camp. He's scoring like crazy. Um, and I think that there's enough uniqueness in that story and there's a uniqueness to his game that has finally rounded out that I wonder if he can't pop in that specific role. I think that they still need some, some juice, if you will, on the offensive side. Um, yeah. But Zach Wierenski, to me, um, and also potentially Seth Jones, but that's a little bit of a different role, um, could become the story of the Blue Jackets. Interesting. Bob, your thoughts? I, I agree. That is interesting. Uh, because when you were first going <laughs> through it, no but, no, but hear me out. And it's, it actually, you made me think, Allison. I'll give you a uh, – well, it's hard to make me think, but you did it. Um, to, to answer the first question, Aaron, I, no, I don't, I don't see it. I, I see Yorkstrand being a, you know, a, a really good player, like you said, in the Texiers, and who knows what Liam Foodie does. But, yeah, there was – we saw Artemi Panarin play for two years. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Do we see that kind of a guy? You know, we, we heard about Bemstrom and his great shot. I mean, his adjustment to the National Hockey League has been a very tough one for him. And I know he's going to get better and all that stuff. But is anybody going to rise to that Panarin-type level that you're talking about? Uh, I, I think that's a pretty tall order, and I don't know that they get to that point. Now, when Allison started about the Zach Wierenski and the scoring, the first thing I thought is, yeah, well, how's that going to help you from the, from the blue line? I mean, it helps, but can we really – talk about an elite star on the blue line. And, you know, you think about the teams that have won the Stanley Cup and, you, you know, Pittsburgh's got Crosby and Malkin and, and Chicago had uh, Taze and Kane and Washington's got Ovechkin and Backstrom and, and all. And I can go through all that. And then as she was saying that, the one thing that went through my mind was the Nashville Predators were in the Stanley Cup final. Yep. And the Nashville Predators, like when you think of them now, I mean, yeah, they've got – I think they're similar to the Blue Jackets in some ways where when it comes to their forwards, they're kind of, they're all right. They don't have an Artemi Panarin kind of guy either is what I'm saying, but they have been so good defensively with guys that can score from the blue line. You know, it was Shea Weber when he was there and it's uh, Roman Yossi, who's the captain now on Matt Ellis. And they, they find a way to do that with guys. And we always talk about how, how strong this, this blue line is. And, you know, if Zach takes off and, and starts to become a, an elite scoring defenseman uh, and then some other guys start chipping in where we're talking about how good defensively they are now and they become better offensively, maybe. But, you know, it, it, it's funny because going into this play-in round or qualifying round, I'm sure that every team that is going to be playing is thinking the same thing. They're thinking, you know, we're, we're healthy. We've got a great chance. And the second thing they're thinking is, if the wheels fall off and we don't get through this, yeah. we have a 12.5% chance of getting yep. the first overall pick. Yes. Right? 
So I'll tell you what's really going to be interesting for me to watch, and I'm not talking about this with the Blue Jackets. I'm talking about this with any of these eight teams. If you get down two games to none mm-hmm. and you're trapped in a bubble mm-hmm. and you're looking at the possibility of spending another two months in that bubble, what is the effort going to be to win three games in a row and make sure you continue on, especially when the caveat of that first overall pick's hanging there in the air? Yeah. Yep, I yep. agree. <laughs> <laughs> and I used, to, I used to think that because players always say this, like, we don't give a damn about some 18 year old player. And then you go, yeah, you do. You yeah. do. Because right. these, these guys know the drill, especially the veteran players who are getting up there, who are starting to go into each playoff wondering, yeah, how many more cracks do I get at this? Um, they, they need a difference maker. I, and, and I'm with you. I, I think, I think there's some GMs that are really, really torn. Like you, you They'd spend a lot of money right now to find out if, if they have any chance to win at all. And if they don't, they might be starting their third string goalie in the playoffs just to give themselves a chance. Although 12.5 is hardly 12.5 is hardly bankable. Um, but that, that's going to be – boy, once this thing gets going, it's going to get going really fast because um, those games come rapid fire. And whoever loses in that first round, boom, the, the second wave of the entry draft is right after that. So th- this is going to be pretty wild here. Um, I think the players, uh, we mentioned this earlier, are all looking forward to fascinated by the, the prospects of a bubble. Um, the broadcasters, as, as many people know, the league's been open about this, TV and radio on the local side are going to be, uh, we're going to remain here in Columbus. They're going to remain in their local markets to do the games from here. They're trying to keep that bubble as tight as possible. Uh, the national broadcasters will be in the buildings. Um, and that's just about it media wise. Um, Bob, like I said, I've known you for many years. God, like 25, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, you've probably covered some games. I've covered some games and some rough spots through the years. You, you've worked in difficult conditions. I know um, this isn't going to be anything like this, but it's going to be different. And I'm wondering when you look ahead, uh, tell me about the challenges that you and others across the league who do what you do for a living uh, will be up against because it's not going to be anywhere close to normal. Well, the biggest challenge is going to be I have no idea what I'm going to get to see. <laughs> when I walk into an arena, I know exactly what I'm going to see. I, I have monitors in my booth. I can look at those if I want to. I can, uh, you know, the one at Nationwide Arena, quite frankly, uh, the video runs seven seconds behind the actual play on the ice. So if there's a situation where there's a kind of a pile up in front of the net, if there's a tip shot or something like that, and if I'm not a hundred percent sure, if I just glance to my left, I'm going to get to see it again in a few seconds and maybe that'll help me out. So there, there's always monitors and I utilize monitors, but I know what I'm going to see on that monitor. And I know for sure what I'm going to see when I look straight ahead. I have no idea what I'm going to see when this comes. I mean, I've, I've asked for, and I'm sure every broadcaster in this league has asked for the, the wide shot of the entire ice because there are so many things that happen away from the puck. You know, in the old days, it used to be the slash in the back of the leg that started the fight behind the play. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. these days you still get that stuff, but let's say somebody blocks a shot and there's a turnover and the puck starts going the other way, and the guy that blocked the shot is now laboring to get over to the bench. Well, on regular, the regular TV feed, they're following the puck, 
and they have to switch camera to show you that guy laboring on his way to the bench, whereas when we're watching the game live, you can see it. And whether you report it right at that moment or if you just keep it to yourself and then he doesn't come out for his next shift, then you have a pretty good idea what happened. So that's the number one challenge for me is I have no idea what I'm going to see. Uh, there's going to be a meeting where they're going to finally divulge to us what we're going to see, what angles and how many cameras, I guess, and all that stuff. That'll be number one. But the, the other thing, and, and maybe this is the bigger thing, um, look, I, I'm high energy and I love to feed off the energy of the crowd and there will be none. Um, I'm not going to be at the game. I'm not going to have any crowd, whatever fake crowd noise they pump in. If they do that is not going to be the same. Um, so the biggest challenges are going to be trying to actually identify who's on the ice. It's going to be a heck of a lot harder on a TV screen than it is in person because we're, it's just not what I'm used to. I, I've done this for over 30 years. I've never called a game off a monitor before. Um, yeah. So identifying the players, figuring out what kind of view you're actually going to have, and then um, you know, trying to create you, – you're going to have to create energy in a silent vacuum almost is the way that I'm approaching it and thinking about it. And maybe once I start doing the game and, and calling it, it will all be the same. And I won't even notice that there's – no crowd or whatever because I'm into the game and, and this, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's just one of the many, many, many things in life these days within the pandemic that you just don't know. So um, I, I'm kind of glad that there's going to be that exhibition game so that we can go through it yeah. and call it and, and get an idea of what it's going to be like before it's an actual qualifying round game that obviously has a lot more implication. Sure. Uh, Blue Jackets Bruins, July 30th, 7 p.m. is the exhibition game. Bob, what's the strangest place or the weirdest situation in which you broadcast a game? Mm, wow, that's a good question. Um, Carolina League, right? Carolina League, I put myself in a weird position, to be honest with you, because I was, uh, was in a press box. I worked in Woodbridge, Virginia, which is just south of Washington, D.C., and it was basically a high school press box it was the, the stadium was one of these prefabricated all metal stadiums and the press box was just very narrow there wasn't there was no booth there was a kind of a dividing um, partition there if you will uh, so it was all wide open but in the summertime in July it was hot as blazes in oh. there so what I did was I actually got a ladder climbed up on the roof <laughs> And set up a folding table and did the games from the roof as long as it wasn't going to rain. If there was any threat of rain, of course, I had to stay inside. I didn't want to be up on the roof with electronic equipment strapped to my head in a thunderstorm. But um, right. I, that, that was one of the more unusual ones. And I'll be completely honest, I created it because the regular situation just stunk. Yeah, watch out for foul balls, though, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, you had, a, you had to be paying attention for that. There's no right. question. Yeah. Um, last topic, lighthearted here. Um, so we've talked about the empty arena. Uh, the, the league is apparently going to pump sound of crowd noise in through their broadcast. So it won't be heard in the buildings, but it will be heard through the broadcast. And if you know anything about this great game that we get to cover, you know that there are communication um, moments throughout the game, almost every stoppage that while hilarious and colorful, uh, to some might be a little, oh, I believe off-putting is the word we could use. Um, I think this, uh, the league is, has taken st 
taken steps to avoid the problems that uh, the Bundesliga and the the um, English Premier League have come across, which is in an empty uh, soccer stadium, the players cuss like sailors. And as I've been around long enough to know that sailors say that, that when they're using that that phrase, they say, "God, he cusses like a like a hockey player." <laughs> um, it could be really interesting. Um, Allison, your thoughts, and we've, there's a coach here in Columbus, the aforementioned John Tortorella, who himself could make for some memorable moments uh, from the bench. What are your thoughts on what we're going to hear, what those effects microphones might pick up, and just how damn entertaining this might be uh, when these games get rolling? <laughs> well, the, the person who may, the only person who may have a more challenging job than, than people like Bob as they try and completely call the game with whatever camera angles they get might be the sound editor for the, the on-ice feed because they're going to want that five-second pause. Um, I, look, the reality of this game is that there is shit set on the ice Literally. that should not see the light of day. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that's lighthearted, and sometimes that's not. Um, I have said from the beginning, I even wonder if there are going to be teams that are going to try and scheme hearing coaches call out next lines or say things on the bench. Um, so... I think there's certainly going to be some slip-ups that social media will revel in. Um, but, but this is a rough game, and I think that it will never be more obvious than in, in whatever these broadcasts reveal, even when they try and hide it, because a couple are going to get through. Yeah. Well, talking to some guys like Felino, and it's a good point that people could learn a lot during this. Not, and we're not just talking about off-color language or profanities. But hearing a defenseman and a goaltender communicate is the goal mm -hmm. is the puck's going back into the end and the, their back is turned to the play. Mm -hmm. um, hearing, as you mentioned, the lines being called from the, from the bench. Hearing a coach work the referees. Hearing yep. the referee talk to players between plays about what he saw, what he didn't say, warnings, these sort of things. Hearing the instructions given uh, before face-offs to guys and the descriptions of why guys are tossed out of the out of the circle if there are any hearing the back and forth after the stoppages in front of the net bob this could be a hoot this could be like a real hoot well i agree with all of that and and i also think maybe they're um, maybe they're missing a uh, revenue opportunity here maybe there <laughs> should be a separate feed that should be pay-per-view yes. and you get to listen to all of that stuff now i don't know how much some of the players would uh, like that because I'm sure they say things in the middle of a game that they don't say on the street. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, that part would be kind of funny to me. I think there's a lot of money to be made. You're going to lose half a billion dollars as a league. Go ahead and put up the pay-per-view and make some of that back. But, um, <laughs> but honestly, uh, that other stuff would be, I think that'd be really interesting because even like you know, we talk to the players about that and they describe it to us, but we don't get a chance to hear, that yeah. kind of stuff, um, you know, and, and then, of course, there's the uh, the coaching angle of it, like where you're talking about instructions before a face-off by an official is one thing, but, you know, if, if uh, let's say Nick Foligno comes up and, you know, he, he's telling Alexander Winberg he wants him to pull it back to this particular spot for this reason, then, of course, that'll be out there and that takes away some of your strategy and all that. Sure. But I think it would be – I think it would be um, – I think that kind of stuff would be really fascinating because – it's a look, we all love the game. We all love the speed of the game. We love the physicality of the game. Uh, but there are still so many intricate things that 
you guys and I understand a little bit better because we talk to the players about it and we get to see practices when you can hear some things that are going on at times. But for, for the regular fan, and especially for fans that are, uh, you know, they're still kind of new to this. They like it. The team's winning and they're coming in. Just to understand it more and be able to uh, gain a little bit of knowledge, I think would be invaluable for many markets around this league. I, I still think that, sure. you know, you can still count on one hand the number of markets where you don't need to worry about that kind of stuff. I mean, this is uh, this game, it, it's different. It's complex. Uh, I think there's a, I think there's a lot of education because, uh, because you're always getting new fans. And let's be honest, guys. Look, it, if Major League Baseball, they're supposed to get going, and that's one thing. The NBA is supposed to get going you know, and all this. But I still think because of sports coming back and because it's been gone for so long, you still have a chance to get many new eyes on this. So mm-hmm. if there's any way you can utilize those tools and help people to understand what they're watching. How many times in your life have you talked to somebody that's a friend of yours or somebody you met and, and you ask them about hockey and they say, well, I don't understand the game. And that's their excuse not for enjoying the game. But as soon as they understand two things, offside and icing, <laughs> yeah. once they understand those yeah. two things, now they can start to enjoy and figure it out. So those types of things that you're talking about, Aaron, I, I think that would be invaluable to this league in building a bigger audience. Yeah, and to hear it in the players' voices too, right? Not, not having it explained in a in a um, twenty-minute video or in a right. in you know somebody, some hack writing a story like me explaining. We did this all back in the day when the Blue Jackets came into town, uh, rule by rule stories. This is what it is. This is an a uh, an incident that happened that was famous about this penalty, yada yada yada. And that stuff's great, but it's not until you see it in in motion that you go. Now I got it. And right. to hear it explained in their voice could, could bring it home even further. I hope they take this opportunity. Jody Shelley, your, your great uh, buddy, my great buddy, our great buddy, um, I spoke to him about this. He's like, oh, boy, guys, better be careful <laughs> because there's a lot, a lot of stuff set out there um, that, could, that could melt some ears back home. Um, and he jokingly said, and I thought this was great, they could do it like the old drive-in movie theaters where the early movie was like the G-rated <laughs> movie for the kid. And then the movie that started like at 11 o'clock was like Close Encounters of the Third Kind or something. Um, and so, in other words, have a delay on the early games. But then any game that starts after 8 o'clock, maybe it's unplugged and you might hear some stuff, but let's rock and roll. Um, let's have fun and really, really see and hear the game. Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a different way to look at it too. And, and I will say this. And I think that you will agree with me on this. There, obviously, there's a lot of stuff that is said out there. And, you know, Jody came along. <laughs> I was in the minor leagues with him in the East Coast Hockey League and the American Hockey League when he was. I know what the language was on and off the ice wow. back then. Yeah. Yep. And I know what it is now. So, listen, I'm not telling you that uh, you want your mother to hear every single thing they're going to say on the ice right now in today's game. No. But I will tell you that it is much different than it was 10 years ago. Because 10 years ago, you wouldn't even think – if you think about what was said 10 years ago oh. and you think about what is socially acceptable now, there, you, would, you would not hear a single word. They would be – they would cover every single word of these games yes. and, and never let it see the light of day. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, speaking of growing your audience, before we go, we just want to remind our listeners that most of the folks who listen to this very show are in and around Columbus. So if you are a local business or even a national business trying to connect with even more folks who are loyal and engaged to not just the Blue Jackets, but hockey, why not consider advertising through The Athletic? You get great shows like ours, uh, shows like Craig Custance, who just this week got advice on his Norris Trophy ballot from players, current players on teams with some of the most prominent candidates. And if that sounds interesting to you to advertise on this very show, just go to www.theathletic.com slash podcast ads. There you can fill out a very simple form and we'll get back to you right away. So go to www.theathletic.com slash podcast ads today. Bob McGilligan, thank you so much for being with us again. Always a pleasure. Thank you, guys. I really do appreciate the invite. It's great to talk hockey again. I know the last couple of days when I was in the ice house, I was kind of like in and out because I was I was told they want people in and out of there. They don't want people to hang around. But I promise that we'll have a conversation in person, socially distanced, wearing a mask and whatever else we got to do to make you guys feel safe. But in all seriousness, thanks. It's great to talk hockey again. Love talking to you guys. You do a great job with this and it's much appreciated. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Allison, always a pleasure. Talk soon. Always always a pleasure. Thanks so much, Bobby. We'll see you soon. Okay. Thank you, guys.